0: Good morning. good morning, welcome to Bridgewater, my name is Brett and I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater and it is good to be here with you today, so welcome. We are in a brand new series starting this week called A Tale of Three Kings, based loosely on Gene Edwards' book by the same title and we're going to be looking at three different kings, King Saul, King David and King Absalom and we're going to be looking at their, life and, their lives and lessons we can learn from them. Um like David said, I I did get, uh, I, I woke up at 3 o'clock this morning uh, because my daughter Gabbiana was coughing and she needed cough medicine and she only gets that if I wake up my wife and tell her that Gabiana's <laughs> coughing. So I really wanted to change that story but I'm in church and I'm up front and I have to <laughs> kind of tell the truth. And so... I woke up Nicole said do you hear Gaviana coughing which she could have said well now I do thank you um, but I did my duty and then thought huh it says 303 I wonder if it's 303 or if it's really 403 like did did the clocks change automatically and so I had to turn on my phone I had to look and then saw that at 154 uh, Matt had texted and said hey I'm sick Uh, what do we do? (laughs) So I text back and said, I'll read the sermon. So I did. And then said, yeah, why not? I'm already up. Let's go for it. So I put in a few hours. I shouldn't have stayed up and watched the football games because that took some of my time last night. But I got a good solid three and a half and I... And then went and worked on the sermon for three and a half, and I drank an espresso, ate a pop tart, and showed up. So, <laughs> you will be the judge of whether that's a good recipe or not. But, <laughs> um, but we're in the series "Tale of Three Kings," and I love it because it's a narrative, and it's in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to First Samuel chapter thirteen. We're going to look at at, Saul, at uh, King Saul this morning. Um, there's a there's a saying that says a wise person learns from his mistakes. But, but the wisest of men learn from the mistakes of others. And maybe you've heard that before. That is kind of what we want to do. We want to look at the mistakes of these kings and try to figure out what we can learn in order to not make the same mistakes. And that's, that's kind of the idea. Uh, a little background on this passage specifically. The, the children of Israel, the Israelites, they, uh, they were God's nation, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, This group of people, this nation uh, was formed and God was their leader and he was their king and he wanted to be their king. But over time, they decided they didn't really want God to be their king. They they really wanted a king like all the other nations, a king they could see and a king that could wear a crown and sit on a throne and look important. And God knew that that wasn't best, but like God does sometimes, he gave us (laughs) what we asked for. And so God uh, decided he would give them a king. And so he gave them King Saul. And King Saul will be the first king that we look at. What we see in King Saul is we see flaws. And they're not just mistakes, they're really character flaws. And they they ultimately keep Saul from from the greatness God probably had for him. Just like... (laughs) Just like my character flaws keep me from what God may have for me. Like it it's amazing how if we learn from other people and we learn to be wise and we learn to follow God, God's got an amazing plan. Amazing. And I I find the older I get that that when I don't do what God says, I really just make things more complicated. I don't think, I don't make anything better. I just make it more complicated. And uh, so we're going to learn that from, from King Saul. Um, God chose King Saul. He looked good from the outside. He showed up and, and he was a tall, burly guy of 30 years old. And the, the verse we get in 1 Samuel 10, 23, it says, um, it says that as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Well, destined for greatness, right? The big strapping king. Everybody's excited and they all say, yeah, all hail the king. They're really excited about having this king, somebody they could see, but he lacked certain things. So we're going to look at three flaws, specifically that King Saul had. There's a fourth flaw we're going to look at, but that's for next week's sermon. And what I want us to do is I want us to see these in his life and then use them as a mirror to, to see that those same flaws in our lives and what can we learn how can we be different because of the flaws we see in his life and the first flaw is that that we see partial obedience in Saul's life that's a it's a big difference from partial obedience to complete obedience in uh, in 1 Samuel 10 verse 8 God had given Saul a command, a specific command, through the prophet Samuel. And he said to to Saul, I want you to go to Gilgal. I want you to wait seven days there. Samuel the prophet's going to show up and he's going to offer sacrifices for the children of Israel and, and seek God's blessing to help them in defeating the Philistine army. That's a great plan. So, Saul has that as a foundational, "This is what I want you to do. The problem is, here, here's what he did. So First Samuel 13, beginning with verse eight, here's what it says. So Saul waited seven days. The time was set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, "Bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings." And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished, isn't that exactly how it goes? Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. Hmm. I felt compelled, like I had to do something. I, I read that at face value and I think, ah, oh, he didn't obey. But, but if you know some of the surrounding stuff that was happening, he was in a bad place. And, and the more I hear the details and read the details, I'll share some with you, I kind of side with him. I'm kind of like, ah, oh, what poor guy? Like, let me give you some of the details. Israel had an army of 3,000 men, okay, 3,000 strong. The Philistines had an army that the Bible doesn't say how many they had, but it does say it was numbered as many as the sands of the seashore. I'm thinking lots, okay? The Philistines had 3,000 chariots. Now a chariot was a tank 2,000 years B.C. So they had 3,000 tanks. The Israelites, remember those 3,000 men? The Israelites had two metal swords for the whole army. Okay, The, the Bible says there were two metal swords in all of Israel. One sword that Saul had... And one sword that his son Jonathan had. And the rest of them are armed with sharp sticks and clubs and slings and bows and arrows. Like they didn't have what the Philistines had. So you've got 3,000 men with sticks and loud voices (laughs) against the Philistines. Who are as numerous as the sand of the seashores? Three thousand tanks, chariots, and a bunch of iron for spears and swords and shields. Oh yeah, how about a wood shield? <laughs> That's disconcerting. <laughs> <Donk>. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't. And so Saul sees this happening. He sees what he's up against. He looks at his meager group. And the Bible says that his meager group was getting more meager by the moment. 1 Samuel 13, 6, when the the Israelites, these 3,000 men, saw that their situation was critical and that their army was hard-pressed, here's what they did. Okay, this is battle-proven right here. They hid in caves and thickets, among the rocks, and in pits and cisterns. (laughs) So they ran and hid. Okay, Saul, mighty Saul, I am the king, my army, 3,000 men. The Philistines, here they come, my men, slowly dwindling, hiding behind bushes and trees (laughs) with their sticks. What am I gonna do? The Bible says that he lost 2,400 men, he was down to 600. And some of his men, the Bible says, Defected and went and fought with the Philistines. (laughs) That's awful. It's like, we know a winner. We're fighting with them. (laughs) Good luck with your voices. So Saul, he's desperate. What do you want a brother to do? He needs a blessing. (laughs) And I read that and I think, yeah, what would I do? I'm sitting there waiting the Philistines are coming. I don't have any weapons. Samuel's running behind. My army's scattering. Ah, I better just take hands, take things into my own hands. He was clearly instructed exactly what to do. Circumstances. Ah, I'm just going to do this. <clears throat> I feel, really, I feel really, really strongly that Saul should not have done that. What a dope. God told him something specific, and he did not do it. And then I hold that up, and I look in the mirror, and I think, wow. I do that all the time. In fact, I, I, think, I think we live an entire life of partial obedience, I know some of you are like, no, that's not true. Well, let's, let's take some, do, do we obey partially with our words? The Bible says clearly, Ephesians 4.29, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is profitable for building others up, that may, it may benefit those who listen. <laughs> oh. Does that count what we type on the computer? Yeah. Oh. Does that include sporting events? Like what I enthusiastically yell to the ref or the opposing team or other players? Unwholesome talk, come out of my mouth. But if I don't let the ref know, he's going to keep on making bad calls. Ephesians 4, is that just excludes sporting events? No. Well, you don't understand. The the guys I work with, that's just how we talk. Does that exclude work environments? No. What about what what I look at? What about what I watch? Yeah, Brett, but it was only one scene and it was just for a little while and that stuff doesn't affect me yeah, there's nothing in here that's a clause that says only for a little while. Only if it doesn't affect me. No, it says, it says I'm supposed to guard my eyes, right? I'm supposed to think on whatever is pure. Philippians 4, eight. Okay, yeah, yeah, but but it doesn't really affect how I drive. I mean, if the speed limit says... 45. It really means 60. In fact, I have a police officer friend who told me that they would rather that I go 60 than go... Wow, we're good at this, aren't we? Aren't you fidgeting like me? I'm glad I only had three hours to practice this sermon because I would have felt guilty all week. Fortunately, I hadn't read it till this morning at three, but I do feel bad because I read this and I think partial, partial obedience, I think that's my life. And I think what we do is, I really, really want God's blessing in my life, but there are some principles that I just don't want to obey. And so I violate the principles of God in order to somehow get the blessing of God. But it doesn't work. See, I really, really want my kids to follow God, I really want them to pursue Jesus. And so I'm going to pray really hard for that while I act like this over here on sporting events. And it's kind of like I'm going to cheat on my taxes and then pray really hard. That God blesses my family financially. It doesn't work. It, it, it's, like, it's like me saying, well, yeah, in my marriage with my spouse, yeah, I'm partially faithful. You know what we call that? <laughs> Adultery. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was partially truth, truthful. We call that a lie, right? I obey most of the law. We call it a criminal. On the test, I got, yeah, I got most of that answer right. We call that wrong, don't we? And then when it comes to obeying God, well, how are you doing? How do I obey? Oh, I obey God. Yeah. Partially. Ugh. Misery loves company. Thanks for joining me. I see why Saul did what he did, but it certainly doesn't make it right. Partial obedience is a character flaw that will keep you and I from the greatness God has called us to. It slowly erodes what God wants to do, and it gives Satan a foothold in our lives. And all he needs is a little foothold. The prophet Samuel does show up in in this story and he tells Saul that what he did is in not obeying God fully will ultimately cost Saul his crown. But God doesn't let Israel down. He gives them a great victory. And ultimately, he gives Saul a second chance to fully obey him, which I love God does this, that he gives us second chances. So... (laughs) In this second chance, this is where we learn about Saul's second character flaw. First Samuel 15, verse 2. says, "This is what the Lord Almighty says, "I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came out from Egypt." Now, go, Saul, and take your army and attack the Amalekites, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. put to death men and women, children, infants, cattle, sheep. Camels, donkeys. Okay, God gives Saul redemption, a second chance, right? He says, Saul, the Amalekites have been a burr in our saddle. When, when, Exodus 17, we were coming out of Egypt, and the Amalekites attacked Israel, the Israelites, and it wasn't fair. And God was mad about that. In fact, they did fight a battle back then. That was the battle, remember when Moses, when his arms were raised to heaven, they were winning. Israel was winning. And then when his arms would drop, they'd start losing. And so two, two men held up his arms so that he could win the battle. He could win the day. And, and Israel won the battle. Well, at that moment, back in Exodus 17, God says, I'm going to wipe them out. 300 years later, here it is. He says, Saul, I want you to be the man. Wipe them out completely. He's very clear. Should camels live? No. It says, and camels And cattle, okay, it's pretty clear. Well, here's what King Saul does. Uh, Verse seven. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur. Okay, he's obeying. He's supposed to attack. Near the eastern border of Egypt, he took Agog, king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with a sword. But Saul and his army spared Agog. And the best of the sheep and cattle, the fatted cattle and lambs, everything that was good. These, they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Okay. Partial obedience again, right? King Saul was willing to obey God until it conflicted with what he wanted to do. God's got a plan, but, man, can I tweak that a little? Because I think my plan's pretty good. That's what Saul did. He says he he kind of obeyed. And his second character flaw would be this. He doesn't take personal responsibility. He, He doesn't take personal responsibility. So not only does he partially obey, which means he disobeys, but then... He doesn't take responsibility. Here's what happens. So we know something's coming, right? He disobeyed. Verse 12, early in the morning, Samuel got up. Poor Samuel, he's got his hands full. He's chasing this king around all the time. Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in honor, in his own honor. Oh, nice, to tell himself how awesome he is. And has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, Well then, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers, okay, here's the, here's the I'm not taking responsibility. Okay? The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord, your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. You see that? It's subtle, but it's there. I know I didn't obey. (laughs) Outside circumstances, if if you had been in the same situation, (laughs) I couldn't do anything with her. I I couldn't. He was out of control. If you knew where I came from, you'd be shocked that I got this far. We are very good at not accepting blame. And Saul was. He's like, man, those soldiers, I can't control those guys. I mean, there's like 600 of them. (laughs) Hopefully there are more at this time. I just, I I was pretty clear, we're destroying everything. And they're like, no, we should keep, so what am I going to say? Let's have a sacrifice to the Lord. I think uh, if we use this as a mirror, I'll speak for me, I'm pretty good at deflecting blame of things that don't go well or correctly, but I'm also pretty good at accepting praise and gratitude for things that work. Football team 7-0. Yeah, we got a killer defense. Have you seen my scheme? I coach Montrose junior football. I know how to put those little boys where they need to be in order to smack the other team. Yeah. Then we lose to Norwich. <laughs> I know, shouldn't have run the ball so much, right? Yeah, that offense, they don't know what they're doing. We just blame. Like, we just shift that blame and, and we can so quickly make ourselves feel better. I read I read this um, As kids, we blame younger siblings. As teens, we learn to blame our friends. In our 20s, we blame our parents. In our 30s, we blame our boss. In our 40s, we blame our kids. In our 50s, we blame the government. I'm in my 50s. I kind of agree. (laughs) Isn't that terrible? We're just good at not accepting responsibility. And shame on us. That's a character flaw. King Saul didn't accept blame either. And I, I just wonder who, who who is it? Whom is it that that you are blaming in your life? Is it is it a parent you're blaming for the choices that you made about your life? Is it friends that you're blaming when when you alone Made the decision. Maybe it's an ex-spouse and you say, yeah, but you don't understand that. I know that one side is, but if you just understood whatever, whatever, whatever. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's a coach. But it seems like as people, we're really good at not accepting responsibility. Saul... <clears throat> had to accept responsibility. Here's what it says in verse 22. (laughs) But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. It cost Saul, King Saul, his kingdom. That's how important it was to God. Wow. That's a stiff penalty. Yeah, but, but God's looking for obedience. He's looking for obedience. Not more sacrifice. There's a, a second flaw in here and it, it it comes quickly on the the heels of of this one in verse verse 24 then Saul said to Samuel I have sinned I have violated the Lord's command and, and your instructions I was afraid of the men and so I gave into them and now I beg you please forgive my sins and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord is there a turning moment is there a turn that that king Saul has said I need to own it I am really sorry I did listen to them, but it was wrong. I disobeyed. Ah, if he would just stop there, but he keeps talking. This is so much like us, isn't it? Verse 30, much like me, isn't it? Verse 30, Saul replied, I have sinned. And then this, but, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so I may worship the Lord your God. Okay, here's what Saul did. <laughs> Saul said, yeah, I know I really messed up. All right, I got it. Everything went sideways. Yeah, my bad, my bad. But the people, they think kind of highly of me. And if we go back and admit that, what kind of a king do I look like? So would you come back with me and praise me a little bit? Like just say, yeah, well, you know, things went pretty well and, and how about King Saul? Let's get, I'll give a round of applause for King Saul. Would you do that for me? He says, I really want to be honored Of all the gall. I want to be honored in in front of everybody, in front of the elders. Okay, those people who are who are in charge, I kind of want to be honored in front of them and in front of my people and before Israel. Like if I would just I I kind of want to go down as a king that was really all that. Would you help me with that, Samuel? (laughs) That's what he says. (laughs) Saul has just been rejected by God as their king. And what is he concerned about? His image before the people. And that's his third flaw. He fears what people think of him way more than he fears God. And when you do that, when we do that, we end up with a small God. Because my thoughts Are that what really matters is what people think. Yeah, God, mm, yeah, well, but what will people think? And if we live with that third flaw, it it, it really amplifies the first flaw, which is partial obedience. Because all of a sudden, I start deciding whether I'm going to obey God or not based on what people think. I know it's what God says, but everybody's doing it. I know that's what God says in his word, but do you really want me to stand up and walk out? I mean, that is just so awkward. What will people say? I know it's wrong. You want me to confront it? I mean, come on. It's not that big a deal. And we begin to make decisions about whether we're going to obey God or not based on what people think. And that's, that's Saul's third crucial flaw. Fear of man makes people big and God small. I'm, I'm kind of torn between which one of these bothers me the most. Here they are. Which one of these is hardest for you? Is it, is it a lack of complete obedience I want the blessings of God but I'm not I'm not really sure I want to obey all of what he says is it, is it not that and and maybe it's just taking on personal responsibility and saying you know what I I need to own my mess and I need to recognize that I have a God who takes care of messes or maybe it's that I have a larger view of people than I do of of my God what I what I think specifically in this sermon is it sure is good that we have a king that did have everything in place, and his name was Jesus. And he did completely obey. And he did. He took on complete responsibility of our sins, sins he didn't even own or commit. And when we try to make somebody else the king, Usually us, usually ourselves, it really doesn't make things better. It makes things more complicated because there's only one king that wants to be on the throne, and uh, his name's Jesus. Let's pray, Father. You you are a very big God. You you showed up over and over, specifically in this in this uh, these few chapters, but but also you you definitely show up in our lives when we allow you to and. I I feel bad because I I read this about King Saul and then I hold it up as a mirror and I see so much of so much of me in this. Please forgive me for partial obedience, um, and please forgive me for not taking the responsibility like like Saul did and blame shifting. Um, please help us to have a. a a view of people and a view of God that's, that's exactly what it should be, a big God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is the perfect sacrifice and that he obeyed you completely. In Jesus' name, amen.